Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Um, we thank you for uh, passages that at first seem complicated or uh, perhaps not relevant to our time and culture. We pray that you would glorify your name as we think through these words now. We pray that you would show us our need for Jesus. We pray that you would give us a heart to live for you and you alone. We pray all in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Uh, well, if you've been following our series through Ecclesiastes, or if you've uh, read Ecclesiastes thoroughly for yourself, uh, then by this point of chapter 8, we know that neither wisdom or folly can actually find us any real meaning in this life. Anything that's uh, of lasting value, more than a breath, that takes us beyond life and into the next. Uh, everything is temporary. But we also know that wisdom is a better way to live than folly. So neither, both are meaningless. He says that a lot, by which he, uh, neither will achieve salvation or something more than this life in and of themselves. But wisdom is better than folly uh, in this life. Uh, and it's that theme that he continues into chapter eight. And he describes uh, this type of wisdom in chapter eight uh, a bit like something I love to do, which is to have a plenty of uh, consistent and ongoing beauty treatment. <laughs> wow, people are laughing. Right? I was being sick. You should see me before my notes. Uh, have a look at verse one of chapter eight. Who is like the wise? Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. Don't look around the room too much just at this point. Uh, wouldn't we love to be that person, though, uh, whose face is bright, who, who holds a kind of calm perspective, even in a disaster and calamity, whose face reflects a, a kind of a, a radiance of youth and warmth, even though life may have been incredibly hard and difficult? How is all that possible? How do we find ourselves with that kind of contentment shining out from our faces with so much injustice and pain and oppression in our world? Well, we'll return to that question at the end of this uh, chapter. Uh, but first of all, we need to go through it to see uh, what's going on. So have a look at verses two to four. <clears throat> I've called this first point. Uh, Wisdom in the face of foolish authority is careful and patient. In other words, wisdom is careful and patient in the face of foolish authority. Verse 2 says this, Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, or he will do whatever he, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? I think we're to imagine, perhaps, uh, an official in the royal courthouse, uh, so in some kind of position of authority themselves, but subject to the rule of this sovereign almighty king. Uh, but on this day in court, the king makes an unjust or perhaps a, a decision that rejects your own wise advice. Uh, and it's going to affect others. It's a bad decision. It's a foolish decision. Uh, perhaps it's going to bring more misery to the poor. Uh, perhaps it's an invasion and slavery of an undeserving people. Uh, perhaps it's going to bring starvation or even death to others. Perhaps it will just make a fool of the king or, or even ourselves, who are meant to be his advisor. 
It's going to spoil the good name that we've built up from chapter uh, seven, I think it was. Uh, we're not told any details, but the king has demanded something we believe to be foolish rather than wise. That's what's happening. What would the wise person do in that situation? Uh, verse three uh, is very tricky to interpret. Uh, you can look it up in every English translation you have in your house, and each one will say something different. Uh, but one way or another, what is being communicated is that the wise choice is not to angrily condemn that authority over us. Uh, don't throw your toys out of the pram, uh, but rather to accept that the king, the one in authority over us, is there by a God-given authority over our lives. Uh, chapter 7, the context of this chapter, verse 9, uh, I think helps us understand that point. Verse seven, chapter 7, verse 9 says, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit. So when you see injustice, don't be quickly provoked, for anger resides in the lap of fools. So the wise response to the unjust king is patient and careful. Uh, we maintain our allegiance to the king, uh, for we've made an oath. He's been put in authority over us. And submission, as we know from the New Testament, to the authorities of our land is right. In other words, a wise person kind of sleeps on it first. Uh, it's patient. It holds the tongue. Rather than jumping to quick reactions in anger and shouting and demanding our way. Uh, I think holding our tongue with this kind of attitude is probably an under-cherished attribute in our today's culture, isn't it? And we want to defend justice. We want to stop foolishness and oppression. We must act. We can fix it. We've got to act, fix all the problems, resolve the conflict, complain, complain, complain immediately. So why is wisdom patient and careful? Well, I think there's three good reasons given in this. Sorry, four. I went between three and five in preparation. We're going with four. Yes. <laughs> uh, there's four good reasons given in this passage uh, why it's good to be patient and careful. Uh, we don't live in a kind of tyrannical uh, sovereign king type state or government anymore, although sometimes you might feel like that. Uh, but we can apply these sort of principles to perhaps our workplaces, our school, if we're still in school, our parents, our spouses. How do we react to situations we think are unfair, unjust, or just simply foolish? How do we react? Uh, well, here are the reasons to be patient and careful. Have a look at verse five, the first part. I've called this one, live to fight another day. Uh, first part of verse five, whoever obeys his, that's the king's command, will come to no harm. It's simple, isn't it? Uh, angry, angrily oppose a powerful ruler and you might find your head on the block. Live to fight another day. Uh, or perhaps in our culture, uh, if a politician angrily shouts down the prime minister every single time on every single issue because they're right and he's wrong, uh, they'll soon find themselves without a seat at the table, won't they? Or, or react like that at work and you'll quickly find you have a reputation for being problematic and at best you'll be moved sideways to be someone else's problem or at worst uh, you'll be dismissed. Or behave like that at school uh, and you'll find yourself in detention or even exclusion. There's wisdom in uh, living to fight another day. Uh, angry reactions normally escalate matters, don't they, rather than resolve them. Uh, verse 4 holds true in many situations, and for good reason. Have a look at verse 4. 
since the king's word is supreme, so someone's in charge for a reason, who can say to him, what are you doing? Challenge angrily like that, and it leaves you with no opportunity to do the wise and the good thing. And this is our second point, which is to address it properly. So our second uh, reason to be careful and patient is because there is proper procedure. <clears throat> Have a look at the second half of verse five. The wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. Even the most tyrannical of leaders will generally have ways to communicate with them that shows them respect for their position and demonstrates respect for our own more lowly position. Uh, we're fortunate, as I said, in England to have a voting system and local MPs who we can lobby. There is a proper process and time for challenging authority. Uh, most of the world and most of history does not know a time like that. We are very fortunate. Uh, perhaps we've uh, lost the value of saying su sayings such as fools rush in where angels fear to tread. We want to fix it. We're right. They're wrong. <clears throat> and we expect our rights and our opinions to be valued now. Uh, but patience and care is the wise way in this chapter. Perhaps it's the wise way even in our culture. Uh, we might, that might mean we have to swallow our pride sometimes or our opinions. Uh, some inevitably, end of uh, verse 6, I think, uh, will have to suffer in this process. Everything can't be fixed instantly. But better for a proper time and a process than for the whole thing to fall apart because we've rushed in in anger. <clears throat> uh, third, third reason to be patient and careful is we can't predict the future. Have a look at verse 7. Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? How do we actually know that what we have decided is, decided is actually going to happen in the way that we think it's going to happen? How do we know that this unjust decision isn't actually going to work out for the good of people? Uh, perhaps when your child isn't picked for uh, the sports team or a school trip and we're devastated for them. Uh, and we, we think the school or club, they've, they've just made a terrible decision. I need to go and complain and sort this out. Perhaps they've made a good decision. Perhaps they haven't. Either way, how do we know the future is his point here. It could be that we or they, our child, needs to learn that life is not all about them and their rights. And that humility and sacrifice and allowing others to go before us is actually a much better lesson in the long run than uh, what we've decided should we fight for our rights when we don't get them? Do we know what solution or path that's going to take us on? Perhaps they're not our rights at all. Perhaps the future holds something better by holding back. Uh, you don't need to read much of church history uh, to realize that the fastest expansion of the gospel is always under times of persecution. When Christians have to flee their homes and their countries due to severe persecution. In other words, there are evil kings and uh, emperors in history who have made unjust and unfair and uh, uh, unloving decisions, persecuting Christians. But we don't know the future. And as a result of their actions, the gospel has spread and Jesus has been heard. But as those Christians go to new places and new countries and towns, they hear of the love of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> unjust, foolish decisions don't necessarily mean that the future 
is always the worst option. Uh, I've no doubt that persecuted Christians were and are weighed down by misery, as we read in this passage. But who can tell what the future of those foolish and evil decisions will bring about? Only God. We don't know the wind or the waves or the, the day of our death. We need to trust God in his oversight far more than we trust our own. Uh, so the fourth reason that it's wise to be patient and careful in the face of foolishness is uh, we are not saviors. We are not saviors. Have a look at the second part of verse eight. Uh, no one is discharged in a time of war. So wickedness will not release those who practice it. Now, of course, in a time of war, soldiers are not dismissed. They're not given a sack or allowed to leave. They're drafted in, not out. We need more, not less. And so sadly, as a general rule, says the teacher in Ecclesiastes, uh, the wicked remain wicked. Evil stays. And our rash or angry objections won't change the spots on the leopard. Uh, the point here is not that we just sort of blindly ignore uh, wickedness and injustice. That's not the point of this chapter at all. But that through patient endurance, proper procedure, godly perspective, living to fight another day it is a much wiser uh, route than anger and rash conclusions and assumptions about the future. If we're thinking like that, perhaps we think we are the savior of the world in which we live in or at least the saviour of the evil person stood in front of us. We cannot save the world, says the teacher in Ecclesiastes. The wicked remain wicked. The evil will remain. We are just a breath, meaningless, temporary, small, quickly forgotten by the next generation. Wickedness, evil, injustice, oppression will not be expelled from our world by our quick and angry reactions. You and I are not the saviours in every situation. What we need is something much, much bigger, a, a much bigger solution. In fact, that's probably the feeling we ought, we ought to get as we read through Ecclesiastes, isn't it? Wow, it's a bit depressing. I can't change the world. We need a bigger solution, a, a bigger savior. In all this meaningless, meaninglessness, sorry. We need something beyond us to save us. To give us hope and meaning, both now and forever. And wonderfully, I think as we read through Ecclesiastes, it echoes the story that runs right through the whole Bible. There is a bigger solution. And he hints about it in this chapter. Uh, the second part uh, of this sermon, I've called, we I've called, we have a saviour. See, wisdom in the face of corrupt and foolish authority it is a big theme throughout the Bible. Uh, perhaps think of Joseph, sold into slavery unfairly, falsely accused of adultery, spent time in prison. Uh, eventually, though, was used by God, despite all the injustice and the, the wickedness and the foolish decisions, to save God's own people, Joseph and his own family, to save them all from starvation. He didn't scream and shout at Potiphar. Potiphar and Potiphar's wife as he was falsely accused as far as we know he didn't lash out at his oppressors and hold a grudge for the rest of the, his life he actually ended up working for them with his whole heart trusting God for the future 
it turned out that the injustices he faced were for a greater purpose that saved God's very people. Uh, Daniel uh, sets a similar example, uh, carefully seeking to do what is right, carefully and patiently before God, refusing to eat meat offered to idols, but promising much to his captors. He was patient and wise and respectful of his oppressors. Uh, there was David pursued and threatened by King Saul falsely. And look how he went on to become the king who would offer salvation to his people in the line of David. Now, we're not, as we've already said, the saviors. We're not the Daniels and the Josephs and the Davids in this big Bible story. We're not the saviors. We are the Israelites, the ones who keep needing to be saved. But the Daniels and the Josephs and the Davids are the exceptions who point to the future. They point to our need for a bigger savior, someone who is perfect, who will never get it wrong, a bigger solution. In other words, the Bible, Ecclesiastes even, points us all to Jesus. Uh, the Jesus who stayed patient and calm in the face of foolish wickedness. Uh, he even accepted death silently so that a future that we could never have seen was brought about that brings us hope if we trust and believe in him. Uh, you see, we will die having gained nothing of lasting meaning by ourselves in this life. It's but a breath. Uh, verse 10 of chapter 8, where we are, then too, I saw the wicked buried. They'll die. Those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this, this too is meaningless. In other words, the once celebrated people who Ecclesiastes says are normally the foolish uh, will still die and be buried. What was the point of that? Or then in our own lives, verse 14, there is something else meaningless that occurs on the earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. How often that is true though, isn't it? It's the fool who oppresses and abuses their power who gets the worldly reward, what we feel like the righteous ought to get, while the humble and the patient and the careful and the wise face persecution and oppression and evil and pain. It, it seems meaningless. But this is not end. The, the saviour is coming. There has to be something more. And for the first time in Ecclesiastes, the teacher starts to hint that he knows there is something more. He's not led on to it so far, but it will become more and more evident as we go through the rest of Ecclesiastes. Have a look at verse 12. There's something to come. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, they might do well. I know that it will go, go better for those who fear God, who are reverent before him. Isn't that extraordinary? Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. It's already said they're going to live a hundred years, so he doesn't mean in this life. The wicked might prosper, they may live a long time, the wise might suffer, they may die early, but this temporary life is not all there is, he says. Before God, one day, all things will be put right. The wicked will not have an extension to their days 
when they face the wrath of God. And the one who fears God, we'll think about what that means in a minute, and lives reverently before him, well, their days will be extended. It will go with, well for that person. Uh, this is not a statement that our own wisdom will save us before God's judgment. If I'm really wise, God will save me. He doesn't use the word wise. He uses the word fear and reverence. It is perhaps wise to fear and revere God. And that means to trust him to save us from ourselves. That's why we need to fear him, because we don't deserve it. Uh, for the teacher in Ecclesiastes, he trusted the Old Testament sacrificial system. And in that system, uh, they would make sacrifices to God uh, to recognize that before God, they are foolish. We are wicked. We don't always live wisely. We certainly don't always fear God and obey his commands. But the teacher here looks forward to the coming savior. I'm going to fear God and revere him. He's my only hope. Because nothing else in this world is going to make a difference. And so through his sacrifices, he'd have expressed his reliance on God and not himself. And of course, the New Testament clearly shows that the hope of that salvation, the bigger solution, is all fulfilled in the Lord Jesus, the Son of God come down to earth, given for us. Uh, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, all are foolish, and fall short of the glory of God. Later on in Romans 6.23, uh, we learn the wages of sin is death. It's not going to go well. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Fearing and revering the Lord is to know that we deserve nothing, yet receive it all in Jesus, our Lord. It means to accept that we need saving from this very life, whether we're foolish or wise, for that matter. Fearing God acknowledges the wages of sin is death. It is God's judgment. But it also means we know we have a saviour, Jesus, our Lord, in whom we must believe so we're not here uh, to fix all the injustices in our world although we should try and we should be wise and use the proper times and the proper places to be wise but justice will only come when jesus returns to take his eternal throne we are not here to earn salvation through wise living although wisdom is much better than folly for only one man can earn salvation for us, and his name is Jesus. So back to the question uh, that we started with. How do we find this contentment, this bright face, now when there is so much injustice and pain in our world? How can the wise man in our passage stand before the king who is making this foolish decision that's going to lead to a terrible disaster and still live like verse 15, I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them, accompany them in their toil all the days of their life. God has given them under the sun. 
he has to put his hope in a bigger solution, doesn't he? So for us, Jesus gives us hope and perspective to live in the face of an evil and an unjust world. Whether we succeed or fail, we, we put our trust in God, whom we fear, and his eternal and final justice to come, whatever we face each day. God allows us to have perspective because Jesus will win even if we can't. We can have patience because Jesus will win. We can have joy now and a bright face, even in the face of injustice and wickedness, because Jesus will win. We can enjoy our toil, whether that's at school, not because our toil will gain us eternal life, but because that is where God has called us to be in this time, to serve him at this place. We can have a bright face. We can enjoy our toil at work, not because it will gain us happiness or when we, because we'll earn enough or achieve highly enough, but because it is a blessing from God to occupy our time as we serve him in that place. We can enjoy our family and our friends and our parents and our spouses and our church family, even when we think they've made foolish decisions or done foolish things, not because we're blind to their foolishness, but because they need a saviour just like we do. We can trust God for the future, whether good times or bad times come, because Jesus saves and wins. Uh, when we have a controlling or foolish authority above us, who we don't agree with or we can't influence, who even perhaps bring about pain and misery, we can be patient and careful. And we can still have a bright and relaxed uh, uh, face because Jesus will win even when we can't. What a day it will be when Jesus, our Saviour, returns. Uh, perhaps it is his very light and glory that is reflected on the face of the wise man or woman. It's his glory and brightness and light that is reflected on those who fear and revere God, trusting in him alone for salvation. Not a great thought. Uh, it's the words of our final song that we'll sing in a minute. Uh, Jesus will hold us fast. That is wisdom, isn't it? In the face of all that goes on around us, we can have his glory and brightness on our face as we live this life. Let me pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we come before you in reverence and awe. We come before you in fear, for we do not deserve your grace and mercy. But it's not a fear of quaking, it is a fear of joy, knowing that in Jesus you have won. Knowing that in all the turmoil and chaos and injustice of this world, caused by us or other people, it is Jesus who will set all things right. May we live wisely for him, not to earn our salvation, but because we trust you. We ask all this in his precious name. Amen. Amen.